things from Jericho when you go in there and get that victory. And the first fruits belong to me. And yet we know a man named Achan. His name means the troubler of Israel went in and he didn't fear God. And uh, he saw that gold and a change of garments and so forth. And he took those things and buried them in the tent. And it cost 36 men their lives. And we've just been emphasizing, if you think sin and buried sin in your life doesn't, you know, it affect others, you're fooling yourself. It affects our souls. It affects our witness, our praise to God, and it's going to affect others. And um, boy, especially as parents and grandparents and so forth, it has a great effect on our children. And, and there's a spiritual side of it. It, it, it you, know, it, you know, we're not talking about when you're wrestling with things and bringing them before God, but when we're making provision and there's a lack of fear of God, and we're using grace for a license to sin, you better believe that's going to bring destruction. It destroys homes, it destroys marriages, it destroys fruits of the Spirit of God, an effective witness quenches. The Holy Spirit doesn't empower that. And, and we saw it so clear there after that victory, and again, a, a curse came there into the camp. And they go into this much smaller city that God's using Israel to even bring judgment upon as He's bringing them into that promise land, and they get routed. And as we read there, Joseph's weeping, and God says, get off your face and go deal with the sin in the camp. And listen, there's a time to pray and weep, and there's a time to get up and go deal with things, you know, as the Lord has called us to do. And they went, again, they saw it was H, and they dealt with that. They go into Ai then, and God gives the victory. And, and we talked about it a few times. I mentioned it Sunday, that victory came as Joshua intercede. And we saw that intercession was him holding that spirit. It's a picture of prayer. And as he held that spear up, the army went forth. And it says he held up the whole time until Ai was utterly destroyed. The, you know, the victory came and the enemy was defeated. And then he put the sword down. And Sunday we talked about, again, praying through things. And praying all of our days. And being a people that understand, you know what? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but there's a spiritual war raging around us. And we're called to be a people of prayer. And uh, praise God, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man, righteous man indeed availeth much. So we came here to Joshua 30. Now this is after that victory. And we saw Joshua building an altar of worship unto God. And it's very interesting as they built that offering or that altar, there, there had been uh, instruction given when this type of altar was built. It was given there by Moses, who Lord used to write the first five books of the Bible if you build these types of altars to worship the Lord, not to use rocks that have been hewn by men or have been shaped by men. You know, take these rocks that are out that have been shaped really by the Lord through nature and build your altar. And we talked about that, how, you know, with worship of the Lord, we want to make sure we go by the God's prescribed manner by the word and not by the word, have them been taken and messed with by men. And take it away. Well, we'll take a little bit of this from that stone. And we'll add a little bit of that and so forth. And we just talked about there's so much of that. And it's even prophesied how, you know, especially in the last days, great heresies and stuff would come forth. And that's kind of setting up where we're going tonight. Because in Joshua 9, we're going to talk a lot about deceivers. As the deceivers come next to Joshua and so forth. And so let's make sure that, that we are not adding to or taking away from the word, but absolutely taking it as written and, and rightly dividing it by the scripture itself. And then it's interesting because after they build this altar, it says that, that they wrote a copy of the word that had been given on stones. And we just talked about that as well, of the great detail that would you know go into these copies and even kind of talked about you know, what our Bible today, we don't have the original manuscripts, but we have copies. And there's over 25,000 ancient copies of the New Testament that are without contradiction. And even talked about when the Dead Sea Scrolls were found there in the, in the, uh, in the Middle East there uh, at Quorum. And those going to Israel, we go to where those were found. We see all the caves and so forth. There is manuscripts in there over 2,000 years old and several books of the Old Testament, and they compared them with, again, the copies that we had that had been preserved, word for word the same. Word for word the same without contradiction. And it's just a beautiful picture of how God's word does not fade. God's word has been consistent. And it's so important that each generation stands firm on the word. And that's why I, I'll get furious when there's modern translations 
that are taking out from God's word or adding to it. And there's a lot of them. There's many out there. Uh, you know, I don't even like calling them a Bible, but things like the message, the New Century version, and so forth. It just seems like they, they have ones now where they're taking gender out of it and so forth. Like, what? In the world? This, this is just wicked stuff. And just so you guys know, one of the reasons why I teach out a New King James Version is, first of all, it is a direct word-for-word translation. The other reason why is the King James, the King James Version is not going anywhere. It's been around 1611. The English language has, has much, much of it's been preserved because of the King James Bible. At the same time, I don't want to be an English teacher. I want to be a Bible teacher. And there are a lot of words and wordings in there that it, you, you almost need like a new translation, especially because nowadays I've heard before the average person today uses a thousand words in their vocabulary. So we're not learned. You know, we're it, just we're just just languages kind of, you know, as, as cultures go downhill, so does language. But with the new King James Version, you get it's King James, but with a, without the these and the thous and with some of these words updated so we understand what they mean. And so I just know teaching out of the new King James, you can read along in the King James. You're going to get, again, a, a verse or a word-by-word translation. But here's the thing as well as you memorize scriptures and so forth in the new King James. It ain't going to go anywhere. I remember as a little kid going to the Good News Club and they gave away the Good News for Modern Man Bible. I called it the hippie Bible. It was like the Jesus movement Bible. And if anyone's familiar with that, they had like every page had like stick figure drawings and, and stuff and so forth. Dude, that thing's buried and gone. The, the good news for modern man, it just came and he went. These things are consistent. And again, it's also a word for word translation. Whereas people go, oh, I use the NIV. The NIV, I don't even count that as a Bible because it's a paraphrase. Basically, as someone who read a passage and said, this is what we think this means and how this should be worded. And that's, that's dangerous. But a, 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 with, a, a, again, a word-by-word translation, you're getting it directly from the Hebrew or Greek into the English versus a paraphrase. And, and many, of the, many of the translations out there are paraphrases. Where if with a word-by-word, you're going to get a consistency with those types of Bibles where you can almost even read along with them. So... Just so you know, because we get that question at times. So they copied the word, and I love it. They read it to everybody, uh, to the women, the little ones, and the strangers. And we saw, it says in verse 34 of chapter 8, it says, And afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law. And we really talked about this, the blessings and the cursings. So they didn't say, oh, we're just going to read the stuff that everyone likes. And then on the tough stuff, we're going to skip over that because that might offend somebody. We got all these strangers here. Boy, if we talk about that, that won't be sensitive to them. And they'll, they'll never come back to here again. Look, that's modern Christianity. The, the, for the most part, with a few exceptions, the whole megachurch movement is based on what's called a seeker-sensitive movement. So Sunday mornings isn't about equipping the church for the work of the ministry, breaking down God's word, having legitimate Bible study of maybe 40 minutes to an hour, which should be normal. But it's like, we'll give a 20-minute sermonette about, you know what, how you can have a better personality and we won't offend anybody. We never talk about the blood or sin or anything else. And then once they're members of the church, eventually we'll start talking about all that scary stuff. You know, we, we might... We won't say hell, but, you know, we might spell it out and so forth. It's, just, it's destroyed Christianum. It, it's, well, I shouldn't say that because the gates of hell will not prevail, but it's destroyed so much. And you look at passages like this, they're like, hey, everyone come in, the women, the little kids, and little Johnny can't hear that. Get your hand off his ears. He's going to hear it. You know, oh, that's a stranger. No, get them on here. We're going we're gonna to read all of the blessings. And praise God, we got a God who blesses us. And we're also going to read the cursings of what happens when we shun the Lord, when we want to go our own way. <coughs> Listen, even that's a blessing because it's the Lord even allowing correction when we get out of line. And so they brought it all and they all heard. And I am thankful in our children's ministry 
these kids get it all. You you might have a little kid, and what did you learn about in Sunday school today? Well, we talked about Sodom and Gomorrah, Mom. Now, listen, we're, we're going to be wise with each age group, and obviously that's going to sound different, a little different to the high schoolers than the, the smaller kids. But my wife's been teaching back there forever, and my son, and so forth, and I teach vacation Bible school and so forth. And the wonderful thing about God's Word is it talks so much about situations that are real life. I mean, God's Word, there ain't no corners cut. I mean... It's one of the ways you know it's inspired by God because men would never even reveal these things about themselves, you know. But I always marvel in God's word, even with, the, with something like Sodom and Gomorrah and the ugliness of that. It's said in a way where truth is communicated without it being perverted. It doesn't paint a perverted picture in your mind. And I marvel at that. I, I remember years ago, I just, it just dawned on me like, boy, this is talking about, you know what? a rape situation and a homosexual situation and a fornication situation and an adultery situation. And yet the way that it's worded here, it's communicating this so you understand what's going on. It's real life stuff. As you guys know, this is all real life stuff, but it's not creating a picture of perversion in your mind. Instead, you're, you're seeing this and then you're, you're seeing the result of man's sin. And then what happens when you turn to the Lord and, you know, seeing God's wrath in some of these pictures and God's salvation in others. And then kind of talking about the inspiration of God's word and how we know that it is inspired by God. And there's so many ways prophecy and the preservation of God's word, uh, archaeology, history, you know, the, look at everything. You don't, you're not going to find things that are contradicting, contradicting the scripture. And then on top of that, those things, I marvel at them because, you know, the hand of God is in this. Man can't communicate that way. So anyhow, again, with, with our kids and the ladies' Bible studies and the men's group, and we bring the word of God. And so, you know, I've had people, oh, man, I'm going to talk about it. I could just, just preach the Bible. You know, Elijah, my son's done third through sixth graders forever. He's like, oh, man, we're in the book of Judges. And this one scene's really ugly with the tribe of Benjamin okay, look, this is a way to approach us and seek the Lord. And, you know, then he's in there and kids are like, you know, time for prayer, you know, raise hand. Can you pray for my, you know, mom or dad? They're in prison right now and this or that happened. And all the kids are like, well, you know, let's, let's talk about this. And, you know, again, wanting to do it in a good and a loving way, but we got to deal in realities and truths, amen. And God's word does that. And so look, that's even something for you guys to know. And your kid, they're getting taught the Bible. And again, it's biblical. Well, I got a problem with that. Then you got a problem with God because God said, get all the little kids in here too and let them hear every word of the book. All of Genesis. You're going to sit here and read all. You're going to hear all of it. And then again, that's where our job as a parent is to explain it in more depth and them to have an understanding and so forth. So... Uh, you know what God's using that to shape them and prepare them and I thought you know in this culture today wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if every child in 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 the public school system had the book of Genesis read to them every single every single year in that boy what a glorious thing that would be instead you know well I don't, I'm not going to rant right now so <laughs> instead <laughs> anyway all that here to get chapter 9 and, and let's just start into it. Basically, you'll, you'll, you'll get the gist of this real soon here. So it says, And it came to pass when all the kings who were on this side of the Jordan, that would be on the west side, in the hills and in the lowland and in the coast of the great sea towards Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite heard about it, that they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. And so again, we've talked a lot about this in Joshua, how the enemy is listening and the enemy is watching. When they came against Jericho, they were watching. And we know from Rahab, she was like, we, we know about what happened in Egypt. And we know what happened, how you got victory over these kings in, in uh, you know, at east of the Jordan. And no doubt they even saw the, the Jordan River split and two million people walk through it. The enemy's watching and he's listening you see it again throughout the word Egypt would study the Hebrews. What's going on with these guys? How can we suppress them so that we can advance our wicked cause? And we talked about this, how we are engaged in a spiritual war. And when you get saved, you're going to, when you get saved, yes, God puts a hedge of protection around us and our lives are hidden in Christ. 
but you need to know that our lives at the same time are, are, are like almost in a, in a fishbowl where everyone can see. I mean, the Bible says that we're living epistles known and read by, you know, the people close to you. No, known or read by all men. And then we also just see, and it's not that the devil's not God. He's not all-knowing. But the enemy and even these Canaanites and so forth, there's so many pictures of the wicked one in spiritual warfare. Look at the enemy's watching and he's listening. And he's looking for opportunities and ways to come in and bring an attack and so forth. And 1 Peter 5, 8, again, such a valuable verse. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. Notice here, seeking whom whom he may devour. And so he's looking for those opportunities. And again, like with Achan, when he buried that sin in in, in his tent, it gave an opportunity for the enemy. And it's why it's so important we have an honest walk with God. It's why it's so important we're, we're not taking the grace of God and trying to use it for a license to, to sin and so forth. That, that stirs up that spiritual warfare. It says to us to do what? Resist Him. Notice here, steadfast in the faith. So a steadfast walk with the Lord brings great resistance against the devil. And we, we need to look at that in this way. Again, so many people with spiritual warfare, oh, that devil's out to get me. It should be, you know, no, we're, we're, we're out to get the devil. We, we, all our armor is, is for moving forward. And again, it's, it's not an overemphasis on the devil. We're not called to that. But we need not to be fearful. Our God has defeated him and our God is greater. So again, he's watching What's our response? Resisting him through what? Being steadfast in the faith. In fact, in James, it says that to submit yourself to God, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. So how do we resist the devil? We submit to God. And if they're saying it's not submitted to God, that's not resisting the devil. Look at that gives the devil a way in to get a foothold in your life. Ephesians 4 speaks of this. It says, do not sin or let the sun go down on your anger, lest you give Satan a foothold. And so we got to be aware of these things, especially as parents. And, you know, those when we are not doing that, it opens doors of attack on our children and our marriages and our own souls. So, again, resist them steadfast in the faith. Now, all these nations, again, they're in a place where God's bringing a judgment on them. They had great witnesses of, 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 of prophets in times past, everyone from Noah to Shem to Abraham to Melchizedek and Jacob and, and even Lot and uh, Isaac and so forth, and yet they continued in their wickedness, and they've even had the, the witness of all those victories we spoke of, and yet they're still to, resistant to God. And it's interesting, though these nations were at odds with one another in various ways, notice how they all greatly unified it says they gathered to fight with Joshua and Israel, notice, with one accord. So like we might not get along with these things, but we are greatly unified in one accord. We're of one mind, we're of one heart, and we're in one spirit when it comes against coming against God and the people of God. And that's been the case really since the fall of men when it comes to individuals that want to reject the living God. We even look out in the world and you see all these different groups with, with kind of different lower level agendas and going about things different ways. But outside of Christ, it's amazing how there's such unity against Christ. I mean, a great example is you see it, you, you, you see it with, uh, you know, the, these radical progressive movements where you see, you know, I, I hate using the word community community for this, but you know, people call it the LGBT community. And then they're greatly unified with Islam, pushing agendas when you really get down to it to come against Christianity. And I think, have you, have you, have you read the, the, the Quran? <laughs> because in the Quran, look, there's no room for homosexuality. You take that out and you kill. You kill. And there's 50, over 50 Muslim countries in the world islamic countries in the world where if you're a a homosexual they kill you there's no room for that yet you see in the west a great unity of them working together and like how in the world does that work we're like you all just play dumb and don't talk about this stuff and you get because it's a spirit against the lord 
It's, it, it is, it is, it's Herod and Pilate who are at odds with one another, but in the scripture it says they became great friends in that process when they were part of the judgment of Christ. They became of one heart and of one mind. You see it even in something like the United Nations where there's so many votes in that United Nations and it's amazing how much they talk about the little nation of Israel. It's, it's some, I, I, I want to be careful because I don't remember the exact percentage. Oh, the power just came on. Thank you, Lord. Um, multitasking up here. It, it, it's, it's a large percentage of even everything they talk about is against the little nation of Israel. And for the most part, almost all the nations vote together against Israel. And you might say, well, that's just Israel. They're, 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 that's not even a Christian nation. True, but that is a nation, a a a chosen nation that's going to come to salvation whose God has even preserved and brought together and then as we've gone through revelation and so forth we know what happens at the end of the tribulation again all the nations of the world they're not coming against the United States of America they don't all gather against Washington DC and you know and our our great godly president goes out there I don't know since Abraham Lincoln we've been been at that place but we know they gather against Israel. And so an anti-Israel heart is always an anti-Christ heart. You'll see a connection in that. And again, what's the unity of that? There's a spirit behind it. It's that spirit that's going to go forth where it talks about frogs going, demon-like spirits like frogs going out of the mouth. I think it's of the, it's either the beast or the false prophet. And it gathers the nations in Armageddon. Not only come against Israel, but they think they're going to defeat God. And so you got to remember that it's, it's, it's not the body of Christ against the world in the sense that we're at war with people. We're in a spiritual war. But really, when you break it all down, everything is headed to really a unified world against the Lord Jesus Christ and the people of God. And it's why you even see such a growing hostility to, to the Lord and the things of God in our country. Because again, even with all these groups, there's a unifying there of them. I mean, a, a great example is you'll even say, oh, people say, well, you know, the conservatives. And it, it irritates, some, someone told me, Sunday, there's this guy and he's a conservative and a man of God. And then I go, look, dude up. And he's spoken out against transgenderism, what's good. But he's like, but I support gay marriage. I have gay friends. Like, time out. This is not a man of God. I, I appreciate him doing that in the school system. But don't call this guy a man of God. This is man, a man with no fear of God. And what you see is those groups compromising and so forth and coming together. I know Trump recently said, you know, we got to quit talking about everything against. We need, to, we need to move away from being against abortion across the board and just focus on no abortion with incest and rape and with the life of the mother. That's an antichrist statement. Okay, I, I, I got a cousin that's a rape baby who, you know, her mom saved her life. You're telling me that life is not valuable? You, you're telling me we, we respond to evil with another evil? What are you going to do to that young girl even in that? That's bringing destruction on her life. But that's a compromise. That's a compromise to bring things, things together and so forth. And, and again, it's, it's scriptural. And again, it's another picture of, of how practically we can see the spiritual world in that unity and the spirit behind that. And there's just going to be more and more and more of it. So my counsel to you is to draw near to God and to draw near to like-minded people who love the Lord. Because when we unify in the Lord, there's great strength. There's a great display of love to the world. Uh, even as I mentioned in that testimony earlier of, of, of guys helping that gal with their house and the witness of that. And, and we need that. Look at, we, we need to not forsake the assembly, but come together and use our gifts and so forth. Because it is a war greater than any other war going on in the world, and souls of people hang in the balance. Verse 3, it says, But when the inhabitants of, the, of, of Gibeon, <coughs> this is one of these nations, heard what Joshua had done in Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily. And when you think of working craftily, think along the lines of witchcraft. And th this gets really interesting in this because we're going to see this as a... As, as a it is a wicked nation that's under judgment. And it's interesting, they're working craftily uh, through deception and 
witchcraft, occult, false teachers. It always is. There's a spirit behind it. But at the same time, we're going to see. But it's also a group that, and, and this is where I just marvel at God. We see they have a measure of fear of God that God even is going to honor even in their deception. And there's almost two pictures here. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Some of you guys know where this is going, where they're coming in pretending not to be those nations to be spared. Israel really does not vet them well and brings them into, you know what, their shame. We know there's false things that want to come in and we need to vet them. And we'll we'll talk about here about how to do that. But then there's the other picture of these guys just knowing we're, we're doomed. We fear God. We're completely evil. We want to be saved. And really all they need to do is cry out and humble their heart before God because you'll never see a Gentile in the scriptures, the Old Testament, that did that, that wasn't grafted into, the, into God Almighty. We just saw Rahab, who's a Canaanite. I want to be saved. God not only saves her, but she's in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. These guys, though, are just saying, we need to be saved. How we do do that? And they knew they needed to be crafty. And I'm not going to read it all, but there in Exodus 23, God had told Israel, when you go into this land, don't make a covenant with these people, lest they become a snare to you. Judgment's on them. And if you make a covenant with them, you're going to start picking up their practices, and you're going to be moved away from the living God. And spoiler, spoiler alert, they never completely eradicated the land of these, these people and their practices. And we know eventually they took them all on to the point where God said, you're, you're more wicked than they were. You've taken their perversions to a whole nother level. And that often happens even in the body of Christ. Think about in the New Testament, when Paul wrote to those in Corinth, he's like, okay, guys, there's a man in your church that's sleeping with his father's wife. And he's like, this doesn't even go on in the world. It's a grosser perversion. It's just, a, it's just an interesting thing, and you see it. And there's even so much of it in the world today where, you know, you, you'll, you'll see people in positions taking advantage of people, and, and it, it's, it's like a, a, a gross wickedness that oftentimes is worse than you even see in the world. It, 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 it just, I, I, I think really what it is when men or people are so brazen to engage in these things, it's so blasphemous against God to take a position that God has given to teach God's word and represent God and use it to deceive people. There, there's an extra measure of demonic behind it that brings forth and manifests even greater, uglier situations of sin and so forth. And, and look at part of my testimony is even growing up seeing that. I've shared it before. My dad, I, I think I figured up, pastored about seven or eight years of my childhood. And the last church he pastored when I was a kid, the worship leader was molesting his daughter. And she was one of my best friends. And um, the dude justified it because that wasn't his biological daughter. He had married her mom and she got MS ended up in a wheelchair and we'd pray for all the time and in his mind he justified well her daughter's a gift to me this is evil 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 and it's funny i was a kid in junior high and he was always weeping and people would be like oh he's so spiritual and for some reason in my mind i'm like what's wrong with this dude okay well lord forgive me and he's like what? dude why are you i don't i'm not i don't see i'm not seeing this right here I'm seeing this, there's something off with this guy and then it came out, you talk about a gross evil. And then you go through high school all the time. You're the kid from that church and like, you know, but praise God for his grace and mercy. Praise God that he gave me grace to be able to separate that from him. But I'm telling you, again, I seen it firsthand, an ugliness and, and stories that go way beyond that, but it lines up in, in, in the word. And so again, we don't want to be a people mixing ourselves with the ways of the world it's so important we're moving forward and upward in the lord versus making provision for for sin and so forth because it will spread again we should not be striving to look like the world so the world can come in here and feel comfortable they should come in here and feel incredibly uncomfortable there should be a conviction on there should be great hospitality and welcomeness and warmthness but they should sit there and there should be a fear of god that falls upon them that makes them go oh lord forgive me a sinner and if they, they, they leave here, it's in the back of their mind all their days, and you hope at some point, and if it even is on their deathbed, they're like, Jesus, save me. 
There should be a, there should be a distinct difference. In fact, in the scripture, it says, when you gather together, as you prophesy one by one, they'll know that God is in your midst. And that's why it's important in the pulpit. It's, it's not just, you know, either dead orthodoxy or goofy stories, but the words being rightly divided and there's mixed in their prophetic utterances that it's going to penetrate people's heart. And it's important we pray for that. You know, in the pulpit, to our kids, to the youth and so forth, that God's words penetrating people's hearts that they would get they would get saved. So anyhow, these guys here, I didn't even finish reading that verse. I'm like, oh, I'm like, I'm amped up tonight for some reason. So again, verse three, when the, when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard that Joshua, all they had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet and old garments on themselves and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. So basically, they show up and pretend like we're... I use the word Canaanites. That's usually what's said to cover like all of these groups that they were where modern-day Israel is, that God had given to, to Israel. Again, it was time for them to move. And God said, again, don't make a covenant. They knew that. They're working craftily, but at the same time, they're wanting to be saved. And it's just interesting to me. Because there's even so many people in the world, they're, they're, they're deep into sin, but they want to be saved. And it seems with these guys, there was enough sincerity, as we'll see if I get going here, that, that God is so gracious that God's grace was greater than their craftiness. And it's hard to explain this and put in words, but I just look and I marvel at God's grace. So they pretend to be something they're not, I'm not going to go into deep detail on this because we've talked about it so much. But there in your notes, there's so many verses in our New Testament walk with the Lord that talks about deceivers. And it talks about vetting things, which test all things according to God's word. We know the Lord talked about wolves and sheep's clothing there in Matthew 7. He says in verse 15, Behold, beware false prophets who, of, of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. And so again, that's kind of what this is. They're pretending to be something that they're not. The Lord said, don't make a covenant with them. They're trying to get in. They're like, hey, if they'll covenant with us. We know they'll honor that and we'll, our lives will be spared. No doubt the devil as well thought, let's get them in there so they can bring their ways. And eventually those Israelites will pick up on it to their demise. They can be a snare to them. A lot of things going on here. In Jude, verse 3, he talks about contending for the faith. And then he says, certain men have crept in notice, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men. Notice here, turn the grace of God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And look at it. The New Testament is peppered of this, of, of wolves and people with agendas coming into the body of Christ, whether it's to peddle a false doctrine to make disciples of themselves, or to fleece the flock to try to loot people of finances. And there's so much of that in the church today. You know, people call them money preachers. And I don't understand how these guys get platforms and passes. I just, I just think they should be grabbed by the nap of the neck and booted out the door. And just like people go, that's demonic. And yet these dudes just have huge platforms. And it's because they, they tickle people's ears. They're like, hey, we'll show you how to get rich and so forth. And it just, it all appeals to the flesh. It's a complete appeal to the flesh. The Bible talks about they use words of covetousness. So let's appeal to man's spirit of covetousness that we need to be crucified. It needs to be crucified so we're content with what we have. We know God will supply our needs. But instead, let's dangle something before them really to fleece them, to use the gospel as a platform to steal people. And those, those are the churches I grew up in. I grew up in Word of Faith, all this nonsense. And again, saw the fruit of it, of gross sexual immorality and just, just, horrendous, just horrendous stuff. I don't, I don't even want to talk about it anymore. But um, again, notice there in your notes, um, it says here in, in 2 Corinthians eleven twelve. But what I do, I will continue, Paul speaking, that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in all things which they boast. So he says, I'm out here to cut off people who want to say they're pastors and apostles who are not. 
I am here to stand against them. I am here to cut them off. And he says, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, notice, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. So they're not apostles of Christ, but we're going to present ourselves to be that. That's what these Gibeonites are doing. Let's pretend to be something else so we can get into, you know, at the herd, so to speak. He says here, and no wonder, notice here, this is huge. For, <clears throat> for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Look at this, verse 15. If you're there in 2 Corinthians 11. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also transfer themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. So the Bible is saying there's men, women running around, saying they're, they're Christian pastors, ministers of righteousness, and the Bible says here they're ministers of Satan. And here's the thing with this. The scripture says the time will come when there won't be a few of them. If you read 2 Timothy 4.1, where we're charged to teach the word, he says the time will come when, when men will move away from the truth of the word. It says in verse 3 there of Timothy 4.1, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. So it's like we don't want to hear about the curses. We just want to hear the fun, the tickling of the ear stuff. Just tell me again, God loves me. Yeah, he does, and he said to repent. You know, well, don't leave that repent. Oh, that's a, that's a, oh, we don't want to hear that. That's a heavy-handed God. No, God says repent because he loves you. It'd be like if there's a rat about to eat from the rat trap. You're like, don't do that. Oh, how dare you withhold that cheese from that rat. Oh, he's enjoying it. Then, bam, you know what? That's what it is. The pastor called us all a bunch of rats. Well, the, have you read the Bible, what we are outside of Christ? Anyhow, they'll heap, uh, it says here, they, they won't endure sound doctrine, notice, but according to their own desires. Your own desires. Because they have itching ears, notice, they'll heap up for themselves teachers. So the Bible's saying there won't be a few of these teachers that come with this craftiness. They're going to be heaped up. Wherever you look, you see stacks of teachers that are false teachers. They aren't really preaching the word of God. They have their own agenda. And it says the people will heap them up. Why? Because they can have a form of godliness but deny the power. They can live, go pursue a kind of carnal Christianity where it's lip service to God. And you'll see the pattern Israel did that and it was always to their demise. He says they'll turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, you, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. So there's application for us here. These guys are sneaking in, pretending to be something they're not. Verse 6, it says, And they went to Joshua, to the camp of Gilgal, and said to him, uh, said to him and to the men of Israel, We've come from a far country. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. One thing that I found is, Oftentimes, false teachers and people with agendas that are not of God, they're really pushy about it. And they'll try to predicate you rolling out the red carpet based on, you know, it's something that's gone on with them or some certificate or something like, hey, I'm here with this. And so you need just to roll out the red carpet for me. And I think a lot of times people give in to that pressure for men. Well, I don't want to offend them. And boy, this stuff looks kind of good. But I'm telling you, the scripture calls us to vet things, to test things, to test doctrines even, and not in a judgmental way, but even people and so forth. The flesh is always pushy in it though. The flesh is always, you need to let me in now. When things are led by the spirit, look at the spirit of God is gentle and confirming. Look at what the scripture says in 1 Timothy 5, 21. He says, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. So if someone comes in and they're more pushy than someone else, you don't bend rules for Joe Pushy over here. He says here, do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. And then Proverbs twenty twenty five says, It's a snare for a man to devout rashly something as holy, and afterward to reconsider his ways. And I've just found over the years when there's someone, you know what, that, that, that maybe they're, they're 
I don't know them and they're kind of new to the church or whatever. It's not always the case, but oftentimes when it's just pushy, 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 and I go, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, slow down. I don't know you. <laughs> Let us get to know you. And even in people in ministry here, it's not even a long time. We're like, you need to come here for at least three months. There's a ministry application you fill out. We want to get to know you. We want to learn about who you are and so forth. That's huge, especially for children's ministry. And it's not to say that these things can't still slip in. And obviously with leadership and so forth, it's way, it's way more than that. This would just be in the area of coming along and serving. I've had people get completely offended at that. How dare you? How, you know what, I'm, do you know who I am? Bro, I don't, no, I don't, bro. I don't know who you are. I remember at a pastor's retreat one time, where I'm up at this retreat and all of a sudden they bring out this dude and like, hey, we're gonna ordain him this week. And I'm like, time out. I don't even know who you are. And then he kind of broke and shared his testimony. And I go, I, I don't, I was like the troublemaker there. I'm like, <laughs> I, I don't care. I don't care. I don't know you. And then some guy's like, well, we know, he's one of these guys, He's like, well, I'm ready to ordain him. Oh, Steve over here, he wouldn't ordain the apostle Paul. And I go, if Duke came in, I didn't know him, I, I wouldn't. I think the Bereans were like commended for that. They're like, we're gonna, we're gonna test Paul. Like I, if I put my hands on this guy and then he ends up being like Mr. False Prophet, in a way I share in his sins. That's a huge thing. And even more so when you're, you're bringing that into your, your fellowship. Like, it's, it's got to be vetted. And some, sometimes things still unfold. And look, at sometimes people change. Let's remember Judas ran around with Jesus for three and a half years. So those things happen, but we need to do our part to test things. And again, I have just found when there's a pushiness and like an offense of having to test, well, let me get to know you. Then, then just a red flag goes up. Like, why, why can't you look at if if... The Lord's led you here and you're to be involved here. The Lord's going to unfold that. And plus you might be here and, okay, well, let's look at, there's something called, you guys know the purpose-driven life. I've talked about the, the, the evil behind that. Before that, Rick Warren wrote something called the purpose-driven church. And he's like, I'm going to give you a tip of how to get people not to leave your church. And all these pastors are like, oh, we, we want to learn. Tell us, Brother Rick. The first week someone comes, really welcome them. By the second week, have them plugged into ministry. I kid you not. Week two, they're plugged in ministry, get them the children's ministry, on the parking lot, whatever. That's, he says, that's how you close the back door of your church. Because once people start serving, they'll feel important and they won't leave. And it's like, bro, there's some people you want to show the back door. You want them to go through. And, and not talking about people sincerely, sincerely seeking the Lord and so forth. But look, if someone shows up with a, an agenda and we're just gonna lay hands on them and so forth, we're not doing that. I, multiple times, I've had people pressure me with that. Um, I remember someone, they were kind of leadership here. They went off to a church, and it was a new church, and they were, they, you know, they're growing so much. And by week two, they have people plugged into ministry and so forth. We should do that. I'm like, what if a pedophile ends up teaching your kid's class? Oh, that's a good point. You think? Again, there's so much practical stuff here. Now, quickly, again, I've already kind of touched on it from another angle. These Gideonites, they're working craftily. That's what they know. They're rooted in witchcraft. They, they're just like, we work craftily. At the same time, you have to commend them because there was a fear of God. They saw all these defeats and they're like, we don't want to die. We want to live. And that's why I kind of marvel at this chapter because there's, there's two angles. Israel should have been a place because, spoiler alert, they end up getting a covenant with them. <laughs> At the same time, the Gibeonites are just like, we want to be saved. And I just think of how many people they come to the Lord with, we all come to them with all this baggage. And I think even oftentimes I see people come to them and, and, and we come to them as we are and it's messed up, is it not? And sometimes people can come with, with just a messed up agenda, and, and, but they're just like, I just want to be saved though. And I just marvel that, Looking at it from this other angle, God's grace. Aren't you glad God's grace was greater than everything you came with them with that was so messed up? And then he's still patient with us with how messed up we are. And so it's, it's just, it's interesting. And 
they didn't even have the thing is they didn't have to scheme because again every gentile in the old testament they were, Israel wasn't supposed to have covenant with them as long as they were practicing their wickedness. But as soon as they cried out to God, look at Rahab, when she got saved, she was no longer, as we talked about, a harlot. She became an evangelist. And though, though, though uh, um, you know, being a Jew, there's an eth- ethnicity part of that, is, but there's also a spiritual side. And they were grafted into the family of God at that point. So guess what? All of that stuff was null and void. Because now they're in covenant with God. And you look even in the line of Jesus, it's, it's littered with Canaanite, Canaanite people and so forth. And you're like, well, wait a minute. God said don't make a covenant with them. Yeah, he's talking about them and their practices, not when they call out to the living God. Otherwise, we're all in trouble. In fact, we could even say, well, Abraham's technically from Syria. That's where he came from. And yet, out of them, God birthed the nation and so forth. Verse 7, it says, Then the men of Israel said to Hivites, perhaps you dwell among us how can we make a covenant with you this was wise how do we know you're telling the truth and look at this is where they should have said we're going to slow down here we know you've you're saying you came from a long way and you're wanting the carpet red carpet rolled out but look at we're gonna we're gonna take our time here we're gonna figure out who you are and look at if if you are who you say you are you should be fine with that so we're going to make a little spot for you over to come in. We'll start to get to know you, and we'll see where this goes. But, but these guys are pushing, and we'll see in a second. They gave in to it. And I almost have to wonder if part of it was because Israel was so at odds with everybody. Some came along and wanted to be their friend. And let's face it, part of man wants to be liked by everybody. Like, oh, someone finally likes us. Let's bring them in. And we'll also see they kind of offer them things and... And they received them, and it seemed to be blinding to them. Ephesians 5, 19, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, test all things. And then hold fast to what's good, abstain from every form of evil. Again, we test things by the word of God. And going back to that passage about wolves, we test according to fruit. Well, look it. It's easy for something to look holy at first, I mean, you walk into, into someone's house and there can be nice fruit. Oh, that looks really good. Yeah, I, I want to commit to that. And you get in, you're like, wait a minute, this is really light. This is plastic. <laughs> you know? Or you buy like, oh man, that milk looks so good. I want to put on my cereal. Then chunks start coming out of it. <laughs> oh, wait a minute here. We got to test. And here's the thing. Look at when it comes to doing this, so many people and nowadays even so many pastors they play the dumb card and they feel like well if i just go around and i'm loving and i don't test anything that's really christianity because i'm loving everyone i don't want to judge anything and then if something comes on and there's something that ends up evil well i didn't know well i didn't know so i you know what i can't go around testing everything i just didn't know i'm saying that that's that's generally the approach and it's like wait a minute it's your job to find out. Proverbs 25, 2, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. Well, I'm not a king. Yes, you are. The Bible says we're kings and priests in Christ Jesus. We need to search out a matter. We're required to do that because you might be bringing a wolf into your home. You know what? Uh, uh, the Bible talks about all, of, again, these agendas. And when you search out a matter, testing it, we'll see in a second, Israel doesn't pray. They take the hook and so forth. It, it, it's not a glorious thing. That, that's not something commendable. That's not a virtuous thing to bury your head in the sand and be naive and just go, oh, kumbaya, kumbaya, everyone, you know, everyone's agenda is just good and so forth. And if I do that, then God commends me for that. That's not commended by God. Like, oh, but that, that sounds rough and kind of difficult. Yeah, we're called soldiers. We're called to test things. And again, it's not a judgment of this person or whatever, but I got to judge the doctrine and got to judge the fruit and so forth. And we try to do that with our bookstore, our radio station. Let's, let's get good stuff here so we know if people go in there and buy this author or this book or whatever, their soul's going to get fed and they're not getting nonsense with it. So it's just, it's just vitally important. Verse 8, I don't know if we'll finish the chapter here in five minutes, but but they said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where did you come from? These are great questions. 
And, and they said to him, how dare you ask us that? No, it says, they said, from a very far country, your servants have come because the name of the Lord, your God. For we have heard of his fame and all he did in Egypt and all he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, Shion the king of Heshbon and Og the king of Bashan, who was at Ashereth. And that's true. And if they would have just stopped right there and actually were from around the corner, but we want to repent. And I guarantee if Joshua said, well, let me go check with the Lord, the Lord would have said, they're sincere. Bring them in. Bring them in, embrace them. Because again, with Rahab, Lord brought her in. She stood on the rock. Her house didn't collapse and everyone that piled into her house was saved as well. Therefore, our elders and the inhabitants of the country spoke to us saying, take provisions with you for the journey and go meet them and say to them, we're your servants now, therefore make a covenant with this. This bread of ours we took for a provision from our house on the day we departed to come to you. But now look, it's dry and moldy. And these wineskins which are filled were new and see now they're torn. And these garments are sandals that become uh, and, and become old because of our very long journey. Again, this was, this was clothing that wasn't legitimate. They were from around the corner. And again, they're, 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 part of this is truthful and part of it is false. I can't, they're walking in what they know. But they're also knowing I need to be saved. And again, this is where I marvel, again, looking out from a different angle of God's grace. Because again, spoiler alert, they get saved and there is a ramification. They, they walk as servants. Rahab didn't. She walked in freedom. And I think it's important once we come to the Lord, we're honest with God so we can fully walk in freedom of, of, of the Lord. Notice next year, verse 14, and the men of Israel took some of the provisions, but they did not ask the counsel of the Lord. And I think again, I think, wow, they like us. The story looks good. They offer these provisions. Oh man, this is good. This is good stuff. And they've been asking questions, but they didn't take that next step of going and praying, of seeking the Lord. Really, they're exploited, as it talks about there in 2 Peter 3, kind of with words of covetousness. We have something for you. And they didn't pray. Look, we always got to make time to pray, to wait on the Lord. Again, to open the word, to test fruit. Sometimes there's things we don't know. I don't have an answer. Don't get ahead of God. People say, I don't know. I'll tell you what to do, then wait. Wait till you do know. It's okay. Again, we're always in such a hurry. There's, it's, it's good to wait at times. Because sometimes, again, you lay hands on hastily. Now you created a situation like, man, I wish I would have waited here. Verse 15, so Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them and let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. Again, it was hasty here. Um, and, and, and again, they're, they're entering into a covenant now that would be to their detriment. Just, just a real note, if you look at Matthew 13, Jesus teaches here, just because something's called Christian doesn't mean that it is. Amen. And he talks about these tares that when the owner of the field slept, the devil sowed in tares. And tares and wheat look alike, but they don't produce the same thing. Amen. And he even talks about the kingdom of, of God being like a mustard seed that becomes this great tree, and then it gets filled with birds. And birds in the, in the scripture, the parable of birds are always the devil. And so it looks like the thing of God, but it's full of birds. I think it's much of a description of Christendom today. But there's a remnant, a sound remnant, but then you got all this nonsense. And he even talks about a woman hiding leaven in, in a lump of dough and putting it in a, in a drawer. Then the whole thing becomes leaven. And you just look around, you see this, this, this network. And if, if people would just step back and go... Look, at the Bible talks about this nonstop. Why don't we start praying and testing things by God's word? It's so much better for people's souls. People's souls hang in the balance here. This isn't a small matter here. Verse 16, and it happened at the end of three days after they made a covenant with them that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt among them. Truth always comes out. And the children of Israel journeyed and, uh, and, the children of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day now their cities were Gibeon, um, Ch Chephira, Baroath, Kerjath, Jurium. But the children of Israel did not attack them because the rulers of the congregation had swore to them by the Lord God of Israel. 
And the congregation complained against the rulers. So somehow the word got out that we made a covenant. And guess what? The, the, rule, the rulers, Joshua and these guys, they had made a mistake. Kind of another aspect. There's going to be times when godly rulers make mistakes. I think of Ecclesiastes, it talks about, this is in Ecclesiastes 10, when dead flies putrefy the, perfum, the perfumer's ointment and it causes to give off a foul odor, so does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. And Joshua was greatly respected, but he didn't seek the Lord in this. And now the people are complaining. It's like flies in the ointment. Sadly, there's some people, they're always running around just trying to find some of those flies. And you're going to find them because when you got to make decisions all the time, sometimes you're going to miss a step and, and, and make a bad decision. And it's why it's so important that you pray for those that are in leadership. And, and it's also, as we'll see here in a minute, it's important when you do make mistakes that you fix it the way God has called you to fix it. And I love this because we're going to see here, and we're going to, we're, we might be able to finish, that, that Joshua says, okay, we made a covenant with him, so now we got we to gotta bring him in. And we'll see in a second, he makes some servants and so forth. The people were saying, get rid of him. And he could have listened to them, but instead, again, he says, we got to do it God's way. We got to do God's way. And we'll find out real soon here in the week, next week probably, that doing that actually ended up being a great blessing because they protect them and they end up going on this battle that God goes before them because they, they honored the covenant even though it was a mistake. They said, well, we, we need to do things right now. We got to learn from this. And sometimes you only learn things, to do, sometimes the way you learn to do things right is doing it wrong the first time. Not that we want to do it that way. But if you really learn and say, man, I, I got to learn from this and do it right. Because we'll read in the next chapter, the one after that, the Lord has the sun stand still so they can get victory over all these guys because they come against the Gibeonites, all these other people. And they're like, well, we're going to be true to God. We got to do things God's way. Even though everyone's complaining, we'll do it God's way. And boy, it's amazing what happens when you do it God's way. Verse 19, then all the rulers said to the congregation, we sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not touch them. This is what we'll do to them. We'll let them live, lest wrath come upon us because of the oath which we swore to them. And the ruler said to them, let them live, but let them become woodcutters and water carriers for all the congregation as the rulers had promised them. And so look at, there's, there's a discipline in there, but notice here verse 22, then Joshua called for them and he spoke to them saying, why have you deceived us? Saying we're from very far from you. When you dwell near us, now therefore you are cursed and none of you shall be freed from being slaves, woodcutters, water carriers for the house of my God. So they answered Joshua and said, because your servants were clearly told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land to destroy all the inhabitants of the land before you. Therefore, we were very much afraid for our lives because of you and you have done uh, and have done this thing. And now, therefore, we are here in your hands. Do to us what seems good to you and right to us to do. And you know what? Even with all these guys' deception, again, it's what they knew. And they're just like, we're just glad to be alive. You see the different pictures here? And, and they're, they're just like, we fear God. And this is all we know, so we walked in it. You know, and this is where that balance is of knowing the wrath of God, but it is important to teach of the love of God and the grace of God. And, and, and maybe if they would have got word of what God said, Rahab, maybe they didn't get that word, I don't know. But at the same time, you got to be commended. You, you got to like kind of go, well, awesome. And it's in a way, Joshua is the type of Jesus. Because we, even when we come to the Lord, if there's a sincerity there and a fear of God, and we're like, Lord, this is what I know, but I know I need you and I want to live. Aren't you glad God says, well, well, then come into the house of God. And I even got somewhere to serve for you to serve over here. You like cutting wood? Amen. <laughs> Verse 16, so he did to them and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel so they did not kill them. On that day, Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord and the place which he would choose even to this day. And you know what's awesome? It is sad some of them would, would pervert the lamb, but others, I'm not gonna read it, but you'll read about in Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 12, one of these guys, the descendant becomes a mighty man of David. 
And then you read in Nehemiah, they're building the wall, you know, where it talks about all them next to each other. And here's a bunch of Gibeonites building the wall of God. And then you, you get down to 2 Samuel, and we see Saul tried to oppress these people. And a curse came on the land. And, and the curse was removed when David handled in a proper way. And God's like, there's a covenant with these guys. Aren't you glad God keeps his covenants? So just, just a phenomenal chapter. And, you know, I, I hope we've gleaned a lot from it. Lord, we praise you and give you glory. We thank you for our time here. You know, Lord, let, let us just take these things to heart. Lord, we don't want to be, Lord, we don't want to be, Lord, judging in, in an unbiblical way and, and walking with a haughtiness at all. But Lord, we want to use discernment and we have to use your word and use your standard. And there's a lot of things that, that are outside of that that get brought in and it's always to the detriment of, of not only the, the one that receives it, but even the one peddling it. And so give us that discernment at the same time, God, I, I just am so good. I'm so glad, God, that when we just say, I know, I know I want to live, I need you, Lord, you meet us where we're at. And listen, if that's you here tonight, you don't need to come scheming the Lord, come broken. Say, Lord, here I am, I need to be forgiven and washed and I'm a mess. And, and I don't even know how to come to you except be merciful to me, a sinner, and help me. Be my Lord and Savior. I believe you died and rose from the dead. And let me tell you, he meets you where you're at. He will meet you where you are at. Lord, bless our night. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.